Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out those wings. And slither in place. Because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to a fresh episode of the cast. Our format today finds us walking on the weird side, discussing things in the Bible that could be defined as odd, strange, peculiar, or just downright unusual. That's right, we've come to another weird in the word. It is an honor to be with you here once again, guys, as we're trekking through God's word. And as you well know, if you've been with us any length of time, that we dive into everything relating to scripture. And like Josh said, today we're getting into a weird in the word, but it's kind of a hybrid topic as far as how we would categorize it, because this episode sounds like a profile, but there is so much mystery behind this character that it lands us in the weird and wacky sector <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah, I was like, oh, definitely a hybrid. Yeah, and I found myself in my notes as I was preparing. I kept saying our profile today, and it's oh. not even a profile. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's a, it's a very it's a very hybrid topic today. So I hope you're as excited as we are about this episode because if you haven't looked into this material already, you will probably want to even further after you hear this episode. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, one could say it was there, and then it wasn't. That's right. And I didn't even say it. It's Enoch. Which <laughs> y'all have already clicked the title, so you know it's yeah. Enoch. But yeah, we're looking into Enoch today. And uh, well played, Josh. I like that. Okay, thanks. <laughs> All right, so let's just jump into it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and set the scene. So Enoch was a seventh-generation grandson of Adam and Eve. So very, very far back character. And to put it in a little more context, Noah was Enoch's great-grandson. And if you've ever heard of the oldest man in the Bible, who was Methuselah, that was the son of Enoch. Mm -hmm. So, you know, without getting into the whole genealogy, let's just remember uh, the key context and atmosphere that was the time of Enoch. And right from the start, after the fall of Adam and Eve out of the garden, we see uh, righteous and an unrighteous bloodline start to take shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cain names his first son Enoch and then names the first city mentioned in Scripture after him. Now, keep in mind, this is not the same Enoch that we're discussing here. And that's one interesting thing to point out that, you know, Cain's line and Seth's line seem to almost be competing for names. Yeah. As I first looked at this, our character Enoch is in Seth's bloodline, but Cain, you know, his first son is also named Enoch. And both lines had a uh, Lamech as well, as well as several other names that were like, oh, you named your son this. Well, I'm going to name mine this with an extra E-L. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there was a whole bunch of, co- like, it almost seemed like a competition to me. Well, and they were brand new, so I'm like, are they just making up names going, oh, this is what this means. True, true. And I thought about that too, but then I thought, you know, Adam did a pretty good job naming a various you know, bunch of animal yes. names that didn't sound anything alike. That's so true. They could have taken some advice. <laughs> Change it up a little. Yeah, they could have, yeah, they could have uh, used their imagination a little better. This is the day and age where every little boy is running around named Hunter, though. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kylie, Hunter. It's uh, human nature. Abigail, Addison. Yeah. There's so many stories where you were going to name your kid something and like your best friend's like, oh, we're going to name our yes. child that. And you're like, well, that's out the window. Yeah. Or you grew up with that other name and you're all traumatized by them. That's true. (laughs) Or you love a name and your spouse is like, I knew a girl named that. Yeah. We're not naming a Hashtag Onesimus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, we got got some names that are matching in the the, uh, lines here. And, you know, it makes sense that we would see almost that type of competition atmosphere 
Because we do see that messianic prophecy right from the beginning where the serpent is told that the seed of a woman would, you know, crush the head of the serpent. So, boom, there the competition starts as far as Satan on a deadly mission to pollute the human race. Mm -hmm. And it would make sense that those who were influenced by the righteous line and those who gave into the unrighteous line would be at a you know, constant odds with one another. Yeah. So there is an atmosphere of competition, you might say, if you look at it from the human side. But um, we see that at the time of Enoch, the time he lived, it was a very different world. We had a physical rebellion of angels that fell from heaven and started to physically breed with human women. And that's where we see this race of giants emerge, a new ungodly species called the Nephilim walking the earth. Um, at this point, I'll, I'll mention that there is a book of Enoch that gives more details of this time than we see in the Bible. Now, if that's news to you, uh, believe me, it's a, it's a <laughs> rabbit hole, and we're going to actually get into that at the end of this episode. But um, it, it gives some crazy details about about this time that maybe you want to believe, maybe you don't. But um, anyway, hang tight until then. And, and I do see a weird in the word coming up at some point talking about the Nephilim specifically. Exactly. That's a good thing to point out because we're, we're breezing by it right now. But man, I can't wait for that one. That's going to be a juicy weird in the word. It might be a gigantic one. That it will yeah, as well. Very, I'm full of puns tonight. Save them for the episode. Okay. For, <laughs> <laughs> save it for the final recording. Come on. It's great. Okay, so. So all in all, this environment that Enoch was living in, it, it was wicked to the core. It's the very reason that God decided to flood the earth in the time of Noah, which was Enoch's great-grandson. And as we get into the story, we're going to see um, that choosing to walk with God in the time of Enoch was more than just rare. It was almost unheard of. And it's for that reason that some of these amazing things that we're going to see with Enoch um, took place. Yeah, it's such a short story, but we have so much to say about it uh, just from three verses. So why don't I read those three verses and then we'll just start making some observations. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. So Genesis 5, 21 through 24 says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, three short verses and then uh, kind of like a wild climactic end. Yeah, not, not a usual thing you see in a genealogy. Not at all. Just this, it's it's he begat him and he begat him, and then all yeah. of a sudden, this man, what a mystery! In the middle of this, he was no more. He walked yeah. with God. And sometimes I feel like in the past I've read genealogies and you kind of fall a little bit on autopilot because you're like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, and you come to this and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it throws your autopilot off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's a guy whose claim to fame should be, my son was the oldest man to ever live at 969 <laughs> years old. But really, he even one-ups that with the fact that he lives to be 365 and then disappears. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess if you're working backward, you start going, well, what attributed to that? And one of the main things that you could see is that he walked with God. Yes. And I also wanted to point out that his name meant dedication. So oh, yeah. I thought that was really interesting because you talked about how um, in the line of Cain, 
he named his son and then they 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 named the city after him which was they probably were like well we dedicate this to our yeah. evil causes oh yeah <laughs> you nice. know and then um of course jared which is like the most normal name that you can have yeah he has his son enoch and he's he dedicates him yeah and uh so I wanted to just focus on talking about the walk just for a minute, because there are some very practical things to mention from this message or from this uh, profile slash weird in the word, but there's also some very applicational things. And um, for one, the walk is definitely very applicable because you're looking at um, a walk with God. We see just a few chapters earlier, Adam was able to physically walk with God, but I don't think that's the way that Enoch did because they didn't have that type of relationship. And yeah. we know that now God in his glory, unless he veiled it, <laughs> Enoch was going to die, you know, yeah. and, and God chose to later veil his glory around the likes of Abraham and Moses. Um, but in any case, when it said that he walked with God, we realized that he did that by faith, by prayer and an obedience to his word. And he maintained a close fellowship and communion with him. And, and it's interesting because, um, while the results may not be the same as, <laughs> you know, Enoch, we're not going to live to 365 years and then may not be no more. Um, yes. we still have that opportunity today. That's true. And, you know, <clears throat> one of the things you say is is in God's Word. And I we, we do realize that, you know, God's Word, even the Old Testament, wasn't even around yeah. back then. So there, I do wonder about how he walked with God as far as communication. And we know that it was super different back then. I, I wonder if it wasn't a, a, a process of God shifting how he communicated from the garden all the way to Moses. Mm -hmm. And so I do, obviously he was in communication with those who seeked after him, who seeked him in his righteousness. And, and so that's that, but still very, we can parallel that to, to the same faith that we have to have Mm -hmm. in walking with God. So yeah, no, that's, that's just something that I scratched my head on thinking about back then because it's so much different in the fact that they didn't have a Bible, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I mean, you wonder uh, if it starts to become, uh, what is it, uh, passed down from generation to generation through yes. yeah. just stories and and verbally, you know, like make sure you memorize this so you can tell your exactly. your kids and their grandkids. And I imagine a lot of that had to have happened for, for Moses to get some of the material that he mm-hmm. had. Yeah. I mean, we know that God gave that to Moses, mm-hmm. but I, I almost guarantee Moses was familiar from that. Yes. From the past down. Yeah. And I even appreciate later on in Deuteronomy, it still says that. It says like, write them on your hearts and then make sure that you say them from morning till night as you're talking about God's law and God's commandments. And it's like, and then sit down and and tell them to your family and your kids. And And it just, it it just never fails to amaze me how far, how quickly it goes south. Cause they're like, Oh yeah, God wants us to make leather boxes to put on (laughs) our foreheads. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. And that, that, that's what Kane's line started off doing right off the bat. Yeah, it becomes very legalistic. <laughs> yeah, and um, that just popped in my head. No, I know, but when you talk about walking with God, some people might look at you like, well, "What does that even mean?" True, <laughs> you know, and that's true. and it could even sound like it's a religious 
piety kind of experience, but it's it's not. When you yeah. boil it down, it just means having a relationship with someone. That's true. And and keeping that fresh and keeping it connected. And things are always going to look different in the eye of someone else looking in from outside. Mm-hmm. And that's a good point, Josh, that it's whatever it sounds like from the outside, it's a, it's a heart thing on the mm-hmm. inside between you and God. And yeah. it's a choice. Well, especially when you're considering what the the atmosphere of uh, what Enoch was kind of dealing with at that time. Yeah. Because there's some that say that he had a lot of uh, godless that were around him um, as the wickedness of Cain's ancestors were just taking off. Yeah. And all the things that were going to lead up to the flood were kind of overflowing. And for him to have this this really strong relationship with God might have been kind of rare. Yeah, super. That's the impression that I that I get as I read throughout that time in, mm-hmm. in the Bible. And then we'll get into Enoch too, the book <laughs> yeah. of Enoch. Yeah, it's hard to picture for me what the society was like back then, but I don't think it was like 50-50. You know, I don't think Sunday... I don't, no, I don't think it no, was. No, I don't... <laughs> in fact, I think it's... It's why Jesus, I believe, refers back to the days of Noah Mm -hmm. when he's talking about the end times to come, Mm -hmm. because I don't think we understand how bad it was back then. It's going to be that bad again at at our end when we come to that, but that's why the flood came, and never never again he'll do it with water, but he's going to do it with fire. There's a direct parallel with the days of Enoch, what he was going through, Mm -hmm. to what we're going to see in in the Revelation scenarios. Just like a surging influence of wickedness. Yeah, like you said, not 50-50. Okay, like a toppling point where it's like all of a sudden you're going... It's you show time. up for church and a tumbleweed rolls by as you're the only one there, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. Come on, where are all the faith people? But <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of theological thoughts on what could ha- be happening during that time to God's people anyway. There is, and yeah. I'm sure we're fixing to get into some of that. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, even when you look at what Enoch is credited as saying, which we'll look at in just a little bit, um, it... it implies of who he was kind of uh, voicing those things against. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So there's a lot to be said. I mean, at the end of all this, there, there's a lot to be said about him walking with God mm-hmm. in that faith. Yeah. Because it was, it was not just a rarity, it was almost unheard of. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, what happened? Uh, why was he there and then he was no more? Okay, so... From what I gathered in my study corner, I saw two theories that have emerged um, that we should talk about from this thing that happened with God, with him walking with God, and then he was not. Um, Number one would be the fact that Enoch skipped this death that everyone is supposed to undergo. Uh, The second would be a possible first domino of typology in how God might do the same thing with the church in the future. Mm -hmm. So I say let's get into these two theories, Josh. Does that sound good with you? Yeah, it sounds great. So let's do the first one, skipping death. Um, As the theory goes, since we know that it's appointed for every man to die once, Hebrews 9, we mentioned that, and only two people in the entire Bible have gotten this sort of of get-out-of-jail-free card, And that is Enoch and Elijah. Because Mm -hmm. remember, Elijah, he was taken up in that fiery chariot. Then the setup is prime suspect for for the two witnesses we see emerge out of Revelation Mm 11.3.7. We see that God will grant authority to these two witnesses. 
They will prophesy for 1260 days. Um, if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours the enemies. Um, these have, The two witnesses have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Wow. So... There's that second death promise for every man to die once, including Enoch and Elijah. Mm -hmm. So that's the theory, is that they're going to come back because they never got to die like us. They're going to come back. And honestly, it sounds a little far-fetched for some people, but I think there's something to this theory. Mm -hmm. I really do. Obviously, maybe, maybe not. But if I were a betting man, I think I might throw my money on this theory. Not that it really matters. No. But it's cool to think about, and it, it makes sense. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, this is one that has been battered around a lot. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, you talk about, okay, two guys in the Bible, Enoch and Elijah, didn't die, carried off to heaven in a very rapturous kind of way. Yeah. Um, especially uh, Elijah. My father, my father, I yes. see the chariots of, he- of fire, the chariots <laughs> of heaven, you know. And, and it's like, um, I... It's just one of those pushbacks that you kind of get when you're talking about end times theology and who are the two witnesses and how is this going to work? Yeah. Because I want to just throw another name in the ring and go, well, what about this man? And I will submit Moses. 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 Because... Unravel this. I am very intrigued. Okay. Okay. So... Um, a lot of people have submitted that Moses and Elijah would be the two witnesses because um, Moses and Elijah were the ones that showed up at the Mount of Transfiguration to talk to Jesus. Oh, yeah. And they were like, maybe they're talking about future plans for the nation of Israel. Okay, And yeah. then also Jude, who I don't know where he comes up with this stuff <laughs> because earlier in the book of Jude in verse 9, it talks about how they had this disagreement about the body of Moses. And uh, that's right. It says, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And I mean, why, why was the body of Moses uh, essential for... I've never the, even thought of that. That's, yeah. That's a good point. Well, okay, check this out. Check this out. Um, we don't even exactly know why there was a dispute about the body of Moses. I'm getting this from um, Blue Letter Bible. Okay. Uh, some have said that the devil wanted to use Moses' body as an object of worship to lead Israel astray to idolatry. Others have thought Satan wanted to desecrate the body of Moses and claimed a right to it because Moses had murdered an Egyptian. It is more likely that the devil anticipated a purpose God had for Moses' body, and the devil tried to defeat that plan. We know that after his death, Moses appeared in bodily form at the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah, whose body was caught up to heaven in 2 Kings 2. Perhaps Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses of Revelation 11, and God needed Moses' body for that future plan. Wow. And the reason I submit to you that it could be Moses and Elijah, and this is one of the most powerful um, statements I've heard for it, is that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And those would be two of the most powerful things that the Israelites could see and go, wait, 
now I understand. I could totally see that. Yeah. That, so. that's, that's a really cool thing to ponder. It's weird, right? Doesn't it open like a billion more questions, though? Oh, it does. Because like you're, you're talking about the physical body of Moses. And I've heard people go to this that, that scenario with questions about cremation yes. and all of that. Yeah. Why would Satan Look, want somebody's body? And, exactly. Yeah. And so like it opens up so many doors. Talk about mystery. Yeah. Which, again, where is Jude coming? up with this stuff and and we'll talk about why why else it's weird but it said that he might have received this information in terms of knowing about moses's body uh as a unique or divine revelation from god but according to teachers in the early church jude referred to an apocryphal book known as the assumption of moses of which only small portions survive so it's like man maybe he just was a reader of every little scroll he could get his hands on. Yeah. And we do know that there there are extra biblical books. We don't believe that they're they're canonical, which mm-hmm. means supposed to be a part of the Bible. Yes. But that doesn't mean that they're bad either. No. And some of them just didn't survive and there was valuable information in them. Yes. And we know that there are things that are said uh, in non-canonical books that were still there were snippets of them included in the Bible, because we believe that those things that were said are the inspired word of God, that God gave them to someone to write. So and, intriguing. And yeah. Like, we're going to talk about this quote that Jude has here in just a little bit. And you're like, well, this is definitely from a non-canonical book, but it made it into the Bible as inspiration. Is it just that one sentence? We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll unpack that as we go. For sure. Yeah. So... It is wild to think about these two theories about skipping death. Yeah. Because, again, um, who who's the pastor that said, I think that Enoch and God were out just walking one day and God looked at looked around the setting and he goes, you know what? We're closer to my house than we are to yours. Why don't you just come home with me? <laughs> you know, I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel in my mind that they, there was a much dire situation than that. Oh, but, wow. <laughs> just because of how evil it was. Yeah. Just the plan of what, this is happening. What if he was like, witnessing and he was surrounded by evil people that were going to kill him. I mean, it, uh, yeah, there's so that's the thing. There's so much things that could have happened yeah. and any of them could be true. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Um, we can, we can have, I mean, but it, it's cool to come up with some of these theories. Well, and it's funny cause in our calendar, 365 is like a big thing, but yep. in the Jewish calendar, it doesn't mean anything. That's true. So well, they, like, were point, they were point, they were pointing future American calendar. Oh, Cause America. That's, that's the better one. <laughs> Because I'm looking at it, I'm like, 365, I know that number. What is what, this? What, what is this? Those are days. Oh, yeah. It's days in a year. <laughs> Enoch was pointing to now. Yeah. That's great. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so that was the, that was the first little rabbit hole of theory. The mm-hmm. second one um, is rapture typology. Okay. So you ready to get into that, Josh? Let's do it. Okay, so the theory here is related to the rapture because of this idea of God taking someone off the earth. Um, if you've ever done a study on rapture language uh, of the New Testament, then you'll remember the Greek word harpazo, which means to seize, catch up, snatch away. And that, that sounds very similar to what happened to Enoch here. Um, since we do know that this rapture event does in fact happen prophetically, many have pointed to this as as a type of, of what will happen with the church. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the main version of type that I saw floating around for this particular typology was suggesting the pre-tribulation rapture. 
Um, the way I saw it presented was Enoch was a type of the church, while Noah, just three generations down, would be Israel who had to go through the tribulation in a protected state. Mm-hmm. I do have some thoughts about that particular extended you know, claim, but the thought of the church experiencing that same grand exit off the earth, just like Enoch did, that gives me a lot of anticipation and joy knowing that we will, in fact, be taken just like that when Jesus comes for us. Mm-hmm. So... Being the fact that this is it is a type of poster child for the pre-trib, I have some thoughts on that, and I just want to speak what I have studied in this topic with Enoch. And Josh, feel free to jump on in. If you've listened to us before, you know Josh. Josh is a pre-tribber, mm-hmm. and I am not necessarily. And I, I word it that way because it doesn't matter much to me. But um, I do have some. Look, I'm just going to jump into some of my thoughts on it. And I'll, I'll say I'm a pre-tribber with a huge asterisk. <laughs> I could be wrong, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I didn't mean to speak <laughs> no, for you. <laughs> no, um, it's one of those things that you just have to theologically work it out for yourself, eschatologic, yeah. eschatologically. There yes. you go. Um, because it's not like God's word changes. But our interpretations of what he's trying to say to us sometimes change, and sure. and this is no small debate. It's not. It's big. In the and the truth is, both sides bring up some very good points. Uh-huh. They really do. There's things that are said sometimes that's like I don't know on that. Yeah, that does sound like it. Well, and, and then there's other ones that it's just like no, I don't think so. And for me, when I say there's a huge asterisk, what my asterisk is, is that no matter what, God's going to watch over us. Yes. And I agree with that. Yeah. Because, I mean, whether we're carried away and caught up before the tribulation or whether we're carried into the tribulation, no matter what, God still had his hand, whether it was on the life of Enoch saying, come with me, or whether it was the life of Noah saying that he's the one that shut the boat. And that's a great point, because one of the things I saw in in the defense of this being a pre-trib argument is Enoch was a type of the church, while Noah, I keep wanting to say Moses, (laughs) while Noah was a type of Israel. And they said, you know, God wouldn't let the church go through that, but then he let Israel do it Mm -hmm. in a protected form. Well, they both could have been in a protected form. God, and that's the point, I think. God could have his hand over you, just like that death angel swept over mm-hmm. Egypt, but the blood protected that house. Yeah, it could it could play out in so many different scenarios. Yeah, and in the spirit of hope, I don't want to go through the tribulation, and I don't want anyone to go through the tribulation. But the thing about it is, is that is what we know God will do. He will protect us. Yes, and He will carry us through. And you know, if whether or not whatever happens. We're just not going to take the mark of the beast and we're yeah, going to, exactly. you know, we're just going to walk with him. No, I'm with you. I, I I am totally hoping that we go up in the air and we we miss all that, but we can still miss all that and still be here. Yeah. So that that's a good point. Can I can I quote a cheesy preacher of rapture uh, joke that I've heard a bunch of times? I hope you will. Don't worry. I'll explain it on the way up. <laughs> I heard one preacher say, I, I have no problem cha- changing my eschatology in midair. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I love those. Yeah. Those are ones that only like preachers laugh at. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm so smart, biblically. <laughs> so, anyway, um, 
those were the two theories. It was the skipping death, and then we had some rapture typology. Both extremely fascinating. Yes. A listener, feel free to, to jump in there. And, and don't get so wrapped up in it that you start finding hills to die on, because mm-hmm. there's no sense in finding one. There's not one there. Yeah. There's a lot to chew on. There's a lot to be grateful for. And it, it's just a really cool a really cool couple theories. And however your belief skews, live that belief. Yes. Like just walk in it and be brothers with one another. Cause you know, one way or another, one of us is going to be right. Well, the the thing we're both right in all the time is exactly, the fact yeah. we're gonna we're gonna be with Jesus. We're in the body of Christ and it it won't matter when that stuff starts going down. <laughs> I was trying to placate both of us, Stephen. I was trying to make us both feel good. Well I had to no. put my two cents in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One way or another, we're gonna be with Jesus. Let's just say that. Amen. That's what you said. That's yeah. what he said. That's what she said. That's what he said. <laughs> I'm trying to do the office. Okay. Steve Carell, uh, never mind. That's great. All right. Well, yeah. We should move on. Yes, we um, should. <laughs> forgive us, listeners. Yeah. So let us uh, trek into the next the next and last thing that I have in my notes, which would be getting into this book of Enoch. Yes. Because it's, um, if you've never heard of it before, and, and you're probably a listener, if you've ever felt weird about extra biblical books, there's a good reason because there is some some heresy books out there. There's like the Gospel of Mary and all of that. There's a lot of stuff. So when you hear about an extra biblical book, I get why it sends you off into a realm of uh, you stay away from this. Mm-hmm. There's some interesting things, though, with the book of Enoch, and we're going to get into that here. Um, the first thing we'll say is don't flip through your Bible trying to find it. <laughs> it's not there. No. And that's an important point. Uh, it's not a canonical book, which means, you know, like we said, being in the supposed to be in the Bible. But um, it, it's it's quite a rabbit hole if you get into this one, Josh. Yes. Do you do some study on this one? Yeah. I knew about the Book of Enoch, but I didn't know to the extent what it was. And so getting into it, this study period, I was really floored by some of the things I found. Yeah. Um, even just the way that people view it and then the way that scholars view it. And uh, I couldn't find a written version of it. So I actually was on YouTube having it like audio booked to me. <laughs> <laughs> And I was I was sitting there going, huh, okay, and, and then finding out that there's not just one book of Enoch, but yeah. there's supposedly three, which we can get good, into the good point. And yeah. that's that kind of goes back to what I was saying. Now, when you hear um, scholars talking about the book of of Enoch, when they're connecting it strongest to the Bible, they're talking about the book of First Enoch. Mm-hmm. There is a second and a third that are heavily disputed uh, because of when they were they think they were written and and other things. So we're talking about the book of First Enoch, and I'll, I'll say you know the million dollar question is did Enoch really write this thing? Yeah, and honestly we can't know for sure. Uh, some think that it was handed down from Enoch originally, and others say absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is there is a divide on what we should think about this book. There's a huge uh, battle by uh, historians and theologians about this. Yes, that's true. But it's interesting that you say about um, some of it coming directly from Enoch, because Tertullian tells us that the book of Enoch's prophecies were preserved by Noah in the ark, and that they continued and were read until the times of the apostles. But because they contained many famous testimonies concerning Jesus Christ, the Jews out of malice suppressed and abolished the whole book. That's according to a 
a theologian named Trapp. Okay. Yeah, and that's interesting you mention that route because one scholar says this, a handful of important early Christian writers such as Tertullian, you just mentioned him, Irenaeus, Origen, and Clement either advocated First Enoch as worthy of canonical status or considered it authoritative on certain matters of truth and mm. doctrine. The book was assigned full canonical recognition only in the Ethiopian church. Mm -hmm. So there was some early Christian writers, such as those just mentioned, that did consider, some of them considered it canonical, but it, it never made it that way except for the Ethiopian church. Yeah. So that's an important thing to recognize. It was actually recognized early on. Yeah. Um, somebody else said, these books contain a lot of interesting material, and although most of it is surely fictional, <laughs> which I thought, <laughs> wow, that's kind of mean, but uh, it's probable that some actual traditions of Enoch's prophecies may have been handed down in the same manner as other records, which eventually reached Moses and others. At least Jude, by divine inspiration, incorporated this particular fragment of the true Enochian authorship. Uh. And so that was the whole thing that I was talking about earlier, is that there are portions of uh, non-canonical books that have been written where they said that w that one line was considered by divine inspiration to be considered for uh, canon. Well, yeah, that's interesting. And I, I have a few things to say kind of in that realm. But one thing I'd like to point out is there's a lot of scholars that consider the first 11 chapters of Genesis to be myth yeah, and to yeah. be obvious myths and not really happening. Mm -hmm. So I, I will say I do, but and we're going to kind of get into this. I do believe that the Genesis 6 scenario, the supernatural worldview of the angels coming down and actually uh, having a, a species of creature with women, you relations. know, giants and yeah. relations, and they, they made these creatures and all that. I believe that to be literal, personally. Mm -hmm. I know some don't. Some don't. There's some scholars and stuff that do believe that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are real, but they don't believe that. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of, of divides on this topic. You should know that. Um, I personally, the things that I read in Enoch, in the actual book of First Enoch, they make sense to me with my worldview of Genesis 6 being a literal thing. Mm -hmm. They actually make sense. They they, they they even mess with animals and stuff yeah. in the book of Enoch. They, they mess with more than just uh, the Nephilim. Well, and I was telling you that in my discovery that I found out in the book of Enoch, he goes through and names these fallen angels specifically by name mm -hmm. and how they are contaminating and corrupting society by introducing these evil things, yeah. whether through its idolatry or astrology, um, just different types of things that were not pleasing to God. Yes. And, and you know, one thing that's always kind of thrown me for a loop is it says that they sinned against the animals and the birds. Mm. And it's talking about how they did that with the women, too. Yeah. It, it, almost like genetic manipulation, almost, is, is where some theories go with this. <laughs> but I, I can't help but think about these, like, minotaurs and stuff yeah. from back in, which I'm not <laughs> saying that I'm not saying that those were real. But I'm saying it could, there could have been a root of something that happened in ancient times that led to people creating depictions of things. We need a moment in the Weird and the Word episodes where like an alien sound comes in. 
<laughs> you know, because that was definitely one of them. <laughs> it is, yeah. No, and I, like I said, I'm not saying any of that stuff was real, but there's some things in the Book of Enoch that can, man, talk about a rabbit hole. Yes, for sure. Anyway, okay, so um, one scholar by the name of Dr. Heiser, Michael Heiser, he points out that Peter and Jude were both familiar with this supernatural Genesis 6 worldview and that their writings were constructed with the content of First Enoch in mind. Mm. Now, Heiser, he goes into a really in-depth, in, in the stuff that he he uh, cites his sources, it's all, it's all peer-reviewed scholarly journals. So he, in his book, Reversing Herman, he actually goes into where it wasn't just a certain instance or sentence taken from First Enoch. He lays out to where the whole worldview was familiar. Mm. So it, it wasn't, so I know that we talked about just a certain sentence being inspired. He goes through a pretty extensive research of it might have been more than a sentence. Mm-hmm. So that, if you're interested in that, that's, um, he goes into that in his book, Reversing Herman, which the cool thing about that name, Reversing Herman, is that Mount Herman is the mountain Jesus was standing nearby when he told his disciples that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And Mount Hermon was believed by the ancient people of that time to be a place where the angels from Genesis 6 fell to the earth. Which, again, connects Peter and Jude to that supernatural wow. worldview of Genesis yeah. 6. Mm. So it, that's some really crazy rabbit hole that you can jump in if you want to go down that route. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, um, this, is what, this is a direct quote from Heiser on the topic. The most famous of these is First Enoch. That book informed the thinking of Peter and Jude. It was a part of their intellectual worldview. The inspired New Testament writers were perfectly comfortable referencing content found in First Enoch and other Jewish books to articulate their theology. So scholars, they, they've definitely noticed some connections um, from First Enoch to some of these writings. And we don't have to go into the details of, of you know, the, the hermeneutics or mm-hmm. uh, Mount Hermon and hermeneutics. Is it related? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, dude, I just, you're like, you're like the guy in the meme with the board with all the yarn. <laughs> and then, it's, and then I see a squirrel and I start yeah, running for it's it. It's all coming together. Hermeneutics. Mount Hermon. <laughs> oh, and not connected. I don't think. But um, anyway, <clears throat> there's, there's so much, uh, there's so much to consider. Consider. And obviously, the the Book of Enoch it's it's a huge topic that could go for days. Um, but honestly, it's it's just a cool extra biblical source. I think it didn't change anything I believe about Jesus when I read it, and that's kind of where I leave it in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, anyway, Josh, what do you what are some things that you dug into? So again, we've talked a lot about. Um, do scholars believe that Enoch was even written by Enoch or was it written around the time frame that they thought he was? I'm still on the fence because the more that I look into it, I'm like, Hey, some of this could be really true. And, but we want to be fair and balanced. And so I'm going to give you a thought from the other side. Yeah, for sure. Uh, because this talks about like, why would Jude quote something that was extra biblical that wasn't even said by the author that was said? So let me, let me give this back to you. Okay. Uh, Jude's quote is not the only quote in the Bible. Have we read this verse even that Jude says this is attributed to Enoch yet? 
No. Oh, okay. I don't think so. Okay. I don't Can, think so. I'm going to read it real quick. Yeah, then. read it. So Jude 14 and 15 goes like this. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, and this is about false teachers. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And it's really wild because um, with this prophecy, he's more talking about the second coming of Christ. And that, again, is supposed to be attributed before the flood. But um, that's clearly the meaning that's placed on it by Jude. And so you're thinking, wow, how forward thinking was this guy that that was his prophecy? Mm -hmm. And um, anyway... This is what uh, one person said about this. It said, Jude's quote is not the only quote from the Bible from a non-biblical source. The prophet Paul quoted Epimides. Uh, I didn't say that right. <laughs> Epimendides. Epimenides? Okay, let me try that. <laughs> Epimenides in Titus 1.12. I'm going to just leave all that in. Where he says, one of Creed's own prophets had said, that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. But that doesn't mean that we should give additional authority to Epimenides writings. The same is true with Jude in verses 14 and 15. Jude, quoting from the book of Enoch, does not indicate the entire book of Enoch is inspired or even true. All it means is that that particular verse is true. It is interesting to note that no scholars believe the book of Enoch to have and I say no. <laughs> this guy is very... He's, he, he's obviously yeah. biased. Yeah. Uh, that few scholars believe the book of Enoch to have been truly written by the Enoch in the Bible. Uh -huh. And um, it says, evidently, though, this was genuinely something that Enoch prophesied or the Bible would not attribute it to him. And so, um, I, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where... Well, I mean, I, I hear his point about just because a sentence is quoted doesn't mean the whole thing. That's true. Yes. That is true. Um, and when I was mentioning Heiser earlier, um, making a, a pretty good case for more than just a sentence, that doesn't necessarily mean the whole book. Yeah. Either. Well, so... And, and this is what they say. And it says, we should treat the book of Enoch... And the other books like it, in the same manner we treat the other apocryphal writings. Some of what the apocrypha says is true and correct, but at the same time, some of it is false and historically inaccurate. And if you read these books, you have to treat them as interesting, but fallible historical documents, not as the inspired authoritative word of God, not the the infallible canon of scripture that we have yes. come to, to have. Yeah. And part of the, you know, part of the reason people are, have even a harder divide on this book more so than apocryphal books is because this was canonized in the Ethiopian. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So this one has a little bit more of a mysterious cloud on it, mm -hmm. but I agree with that in things said there because, um, I, I, I personally, I don't, I don't think it should be in the Bible. No. Um, I think there's, Probably a lot of truth in it, though. Yes. So it's one of those things that uh, I, I definitely don't ever want to steer someone astray that's listening and say, hey, this is this could possibly be God's Word. Yeah. I do not. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm th there might be some, some cool truth in it, but God's Word is the Bible. This is what I'd say, is if your feet are on the firm foundation of God's Word and you're looking for something really interesting to check out, then this is good for you. Yeah. But if you're like, well, I'm still guessing, you know, yes. I'm still figuring this all out. 
this is not water to wade into just yet. If if you are walking with God as Enoch was, you won't be led astray by his book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a totally that's dumb a, thing that's to a say. snake bird guarantee. Right? No, <laughs> that of was course a politician not. statement. That, yeah, wow. Uh, no, I, that was a total joke. But yeah, no, I totally agree with that. It's um, if you're founded on on knowing that you're God's and you're walking with him and you're abiding in God, th- this won't lead you astray. Or and like I said, I read the thing. It didn't change anything that I, I know about Jesus to be true. Yeah. You know? It's just, it was, it was an interesting book. <laughs> yes. But we did say stay away from second and third Enoch. Yes, we did. Okay. And, and keep that in mind because that there's a pretty much uh consensus among scholars that that's not. Yeah. And, and, you know, he also said that no very little scholars or no scholars, I can't remember what he said, agree that Enoch wrote it. I don't know that Heiser makes the case that Enoch wrote it. Mm-hmm. He just makes the case that it was influential in the yeah. writing of certain scriptures in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Okay. I, you know, so that's another thing that, that might be accurate as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Now, I kind of think that it, it, in some form or fashion would have been passed down from Enoch if this thing is to be having truth in mm-hmm. it. Uh, possibly. Possibly. Yeah. And that's all this is, is speculation. Yeah. It's very much speculation. This is one of those where I just can't wait to get to heaven and yeah. fill in some of these blanks and go, oh, that makes so much sense. Exactly. But yeah. until then, we can we can study and we can speculate and we can infer. And you know what? If what is written about Genesis 6 with the Nephilim and everything... It makes a lot of sense. It does. It, it really does. And again, and it, in my heart, it will never be canon, so I'm not just going to put my faith on it. Yeah. But it oh, is yeah. going to be one of those things where I get to contemplate it, and, and it stirs up my um, my affection more for God and why uh, the flood came and why he gave us the promise and saying, I'm not going to do that again with water, but yes. why it was necessary. And, you know, that's part of when I read the book of Enoch, that part, that kind of helped me understand why God did what he did. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions people ask about why would God do that to these children? If you read some of the content in the book of First Enoch, there was the things that were going on, like even at that genetic level that we were talking about, mm-hmm. how they sinned against the animals and the people, it, they were changing humanity into mm-hmm. a creation that wasn't even God's. Wow. So it, that that's one one route that takes. Yeah. Yeah. So that actually helped me, you know, settle my, and like you said, I'm not considering it canon, I'm not considering it, but it was a working process and I'm like, you know what? I think there were some things going on back then that the question that I'm asking, why would God do that? There was more to the story. Mm-hmm. So in the Bible, <laughs> God gives us just enough. <laughs> I was just thinking of, um, Oh, who is the filmmaker who has, he's got a really like wild religious upbringing. So he makes all these crazy movies, but he made the Noah movie, which was, Oh yeah. The transformer rock, uh, builders. <laughs> yes. That Noah build the There's ark. a lot of uprise yeah, on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't think of his name, but he, I know makes, exactly. he makes a lot of strange religious tied movies. He made that movie mother, which was, Oh, I, did, I didn't see that one. No, it was so weird. It was about creation and about gotcha. like, mankind losing their stees and and 
about Mother Earth and oh, wow. and then the process just restarting. It's so strange. It sounds like he takes a little from here and a little mm-hmm. from there and yeah. kind of makes it sound biblical. Well, I just I feel like he had a really religious upbringing, but maybe didn't connect all the dots to actually having that relationship with God. And and that is just my um, outside like looking in. And I haven't really studied it a lot. Yeah. It's just he's a very interesting filmmaker. It's just one of those things. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, so that's that's the topic of Enoch, the the profile slash weird in the word. Yes. And like you said earlier, Josh, this is obviously this is going to stem eventually into another weird in the word with mm-hmm. the Nephilim. Yeah. And we'll probably talk about the book of Enoch there too. Yeah. And um, there, there's just so much mystery in this topic, and it, uh, honestly, it's one of those that that I love to go to because mm-hmm. it's just so fun. Yeah. Yeah. And like finding glimpses of him in the Bible in different places. Yeah. Because I did want to mention the one last place that he's found in the Bible as I give my uh, last kind of summary, if that's all right. Oh yeah. Go for it. So one place that we didn't even mention that, that he's found in the Bible is Hebrews yeah, and he's found in right. the hall of faith. And so Hebrews eleven five comes right before that verse that says for without faith, it is impossible to please God. Um, but 11.5 says this, By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Mm. And I think if you're pulling it back into almost like a profile versus a weird in the word, uh, for me, I want to strive to walk with God like Enoch did. By faith pleasing unto God, even in the midst of a world that's evil and blasphemous. And we don't know to the degree with what his world that he was surrounded by was like, but to not waver and to walk on no matter what the outcome. And I have to ask, would being taken by God and not facing death appeal to me? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But is that something I should count on? Uh, No, probably not. Uh, My heart is just to live for him and not get caught up in the nonsense and the things that don't matter in this life. Um, To walk so closely with God that I'll notice if I start to drift. And to have that heart where that's what God would say about you is, they are a man or a woman after my own heart. And all the way until we breathe our last breath, we walk with God ever growing closer to him through progressive sanctification, saying, Father, what else is in my life that you, you want to deal with? You know? Yes. Like I, I believe that Enoch had that that push and pull relationship with God as he just grew closer to him by faith. Amen. You know, that's uh, honestly, I think, the the best application you could pull from this whole thing. And Mm -hmm. it's similar. You said it better than I was going to say it. But it's the same thing. You know, it's just uh, to walk with God in an evil generation. I I think that really um, hits home Mm -hmm. for us now. Because uh, I don't think that we're as bad as it was right before the flood. But I think we're getting there pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And everywhere we look, there is evil things. There is good being called bad and there's bad being called good people's love is growing cold and in in a generation where these things are being normalized and to to be against these things is to be called a racist or a bigot or a uh, you know whatever the word is christians are slowly but surely that frog in the slowly heated pot of water mm-hmm. where things are they're 
turning. The tide is turning that way. And so I think it's more than ever such an important time to check your heart. Mm-hmm. Check your Are you honestly seeking God? Are you honestly walking God? And I, I say seeking. Are you resting in, in what he's done? Mm-hmm. Are you resting in what Jesus did on the cross? And and that is your lifeline you're holding on to to get out of this place. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only thing that really matters in the end. And and like Jesus tells us in, in Matthew 24, 44, after he just got through laying out what the end times approaching is going to look like, he says, Therefore, you must also be ready. Because the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. Mm-hmm. And I think just like the people right before it started raining and Noah got on the ark with all those people, we're coming to a time where we're going to be so in tune with God as a, as a believer that we're we're going to sense that stuff. And we're going to have a peace knowing, you know what, it doesn't matter what we're fixing to face. It doesn't matter the things I'm worried about even tomorrow. The number one thing that matters is that I'm walking with Jesus. I'm going to be with him soon. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just just to tie up what you already said, yeah, more gracefully. So <laughs> it, it is. It's it's the only thing that matters. No, and you just even reminded me of like what the main verses in Revelation say as Jesus is speaking to the churches. He says, let him who has ears to hear let him hear what the Spirit says. And and I feel like that's what we're supposed to do when we come to God's Word is just, what do you want me to, you know, yes. and how do I pull that out to apply to my life? And we have to walk like Enoch did. Amen. As hard as it'll be. Yes. A rare thing. Yeah, exactly. Because it wasn't 50-50. It was uh-uh. probably a very, very slim margin of people living for Jesus or living for God versus living for the world. In the parallel into the New Testament, you know, wide is the gate to destruction, mm-hmm. narrow. It's not 50-50. No. So, Yeah. That's the topic of Enoch, guys. We hope you'd enjoyed it. Um, I'm sure that you're you you're sparked to go study this on your own now after hearing some of the stuff that that we got into. Yeah, yeah. I know that there's some YouTube things you can get out there where <laughs> be somebody... careful with that. You can find some <laughs> yeah. wax. Stuff. I was just gonna say you could find somebody to read it to you like an audiobook, <laughs> which is so strange, <laughs> especially if it's like a passage of scripture that you've never heard before, and you're like, okay, yeah, but. There are PDFs and stuff that you can buy out there, or you can order a book of Enoch. Just make sure you get Enoch one, yes, and not uh, two or three. And you, uh, I'm just going to warn you: you will actually, in the thumbnails, when you click on one of these videos, you're going to see a video of ancient aliens somewhere over there because this is like right in line <laughs> yeah. with half of those topics. So, but, so, so direct your. Direct your rabbit hole wisely. Was this podcast put on by the Discovery Channel? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All I picture is that dude with the hair. Yes. Aliens. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So that was your weird in the word slash profile. And um, we'd love to hear from you on what uh, you find weird in the word uh, that you would love us to talk about or what Bible character you would like us to profile. And the way that you can contact us with that is send us a Facebook message directly to Snakebird page, or you can um, comment on our page, or you can even send us an email directly to connect at beasnakebird.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to visit with you. And if you've heard anything during this time that you're like, what the heck were y'all talking about? <laughs> then mail the, email that to us as well, and we'll, we'll have a conversation because that's what this is all about. It's about community. 
That's right. Hey, and if you're loving the cast, guys, hop on there, give us a good review, maybe leave some words or whatever. That would really help push us out there, and uh, we would really appreciate that mm-hmm. if, if you could. That'd be great. Yes, so snakebirds, always remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to walk with God like Enoch. And follow the words of Jesus and be a snakebird. Snake